Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today we're speaking to Madeline Saxton-Beer, who heads up marketing and communications at Partridge Jewelers. Madeline's career so far started with a stint as a staff writer at Denizen Magazine, where she wrote about food, culture, travel, and people of influence in Auckland. After spending time in Los Angeles, interning at the highly respected cultural magazine called Flaunt, Madeline came back home to Denizen and started working up the ranks to become senior editor after a few more years, helping to run a team of writers and the editorial advertorial schedule. Then, mentored by past guest on this podcast, Peter Cullinane, she made the move out of publishing to the communications and marketing side of Lewis Road Creamery, serving first as community manager and later as communications manager. Here she developed a love of encapsulating, nurturing and promoting a brand's voice, which takes her onto her current role at Partridge Jewelers, a business with an incredible history spanning two countries and six generations, which I'm sure we'll discuss today. So Madeline, welcome to the show. Hello, Ben. Thank you for having me. So from journalist to marketer, tell me all about it. Yes, well, it's all. It wasn't very well planned out, I have to say, but um, that's what happened, I guess. I, um, as I mentioned, I guess um, when we first started talking, uh, or when I sent across my bio, I, I had a love of um, travel and languages and communication, mm. and um, that led me back home after kind of going abroad when I was younger, finishing my. Um, commerce degree at Auckland Uni and I came back and happened upon this job at Denizen Magazine which oh. was a fairly small publication quite a boutique mm-hmm. um, niche publication that started out in design and then um, transferred across to culture so I basically started there and just you were, started, you were a staff writer there weren't I was you? a staff writer so I was writing about anything and everything that I needed right. to so okay. you know new restaurant openings um, cultural events what else Um, travel obviously that was quite close to my heart Um, we covered off fashion uh, basically anything and everything it's it's actually it's an Auckland-based publication um, and yeah Claire Sullivan who runs it she had a great vision for this magazine that was to kind of elevate the culture and celebrate uh, luxury in a way and to also just celebrate people doing great things in New Zealand and it was kind of a bit of an antithesis on the tall poppy thing I guess Mm -hmm. that we have Mm -hmm. a lot of um, in New Zealand that everyone knows about and uh, we have amazing publications I think here but her point of difference was to really celebrate people and what they were doing um, and and be a very positive voice for things that were happening in Auckland no matter what the subject was so it was really broadly across those those subjects of you know, restaurants, hospitality, culture, art. And your first job in the industry? My first job in the industry, yes. So it was... um it was very random that I started working there, but um, I grew to love it. And I think that through my travel and communications and languages, I kind of, I love just trying to be clear about, you know, what I was saying and developing this yeah. tone of voice for yes. this magazine and to really yeah. embody 
in some ways what um, our editor's voice was, but that voice of positivity. And, and I think that's where I kind of started honing this this craft of kind of embracing a brand's voice in a way. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't journalism in its kind of truest sense, but mm-hmm. it was, like I said, embracing a, a brand voice yeah. and you know rolling that out across a lot of different features for a lot of different brands and companies. So in some ways that probably makes the leap a little bit more natural in yes. terms of heading yeah, into yeah, marketing. Yeah. yeah. And so but Lewis Road was, was your first role with the brand? That's right. So, yeah, so as, as uh, you mentioned, Ben, I had been in touch with Peter Cullinane, yep. who had mentored me in some ways, mm. and um, at uh, an appropriate juncture <laughs> in my career, yeah. he asked me to come on board with Lewis Road, which... How um, exciting. Very exciting. Uh, Fast-moving consumer goods company, mm. which was quite different for me. Sure. Um, obviously, um, being fast-paced and deadline-driven, and having you know being a um, you know a dairy brand, it was yeah. it was interesting in terms of um, having to be quite reactive mm. and working towards tight deadlines and having lots on the go. At one point, yeah. I mean, yeah. the brand was kind of known for its new product development, and so there were always exciting new things coming out. Um, so a lot of new facets for me, but. Again, Again, I think was as community manager, I was able to embody this brand voice on behalf of Lewis Road. And so, so what does community manager mean? What do you do? So community manager, I think we're hearing of it more and more. It was new to me when I started on as a community manager. We actually had a communications manager there. Right. A really talented one, actually. And it's basically we have these brands have these um, audiences now, these followings, these mm-hmm. channels. Mm-hmm. And I guess we can refer to that more widely as a community and I think that you know as opposed to saying a as you know a social media manager I think Mm -hmm, it's kind mm -hmm. of embracing all of these avenues that we have and pulling it all together using you know the modes of communication that you use internally and translating those externally so um, obviously a lot of it is based around social media and I have to preface this whole thing by saying that my area of expertise obviously more marketing than sales but Um, yeah, community management, I think, is becoming more and more important for people these days. Mm-hmm. And so that was my first role in it. Um, and Lewis Road had this really intensely engaged audience right. um, yeah, okay. that was really interesting to get amongst and leverage and Lewis Road was obviously uh, kind of not a startup by Mm. any means it was kind of beyond that by the time that I joined but the ability to leverage this really engaged community to celebrate you know new product launches and the the incredibly inventive things that Lewis Road did um, was really cool to see so there was kind of that crossover with communications and I think a high level of editorial now in terms Mm. of what people wanted to see and hear and how they wanted to absorb that information on all different platforms whether they're articles or social media or print ads and that sort of thing yeah it was it was really interesting I guess and then from there now you're now you're in jewelry now you're a comms manager at Partridge so again another quite decent pivot um, into jewelry but um, I was actually just thinking about that um, before on the way over here Ben and and what um, kind of joins the dots with with all of these experiences. And I think it would have to be what you would probably describe as boutique brands to a degree, Mm -hmm. Um, not huge corporates by any means. I think commercially successful boutique brands um, that very much have their own story to tell. Um, And Partridge Jewelers, that opportunity was presented to me in a way that I, in thinking about taking the opportunity, I guess a lot of what the appeal was, was that it had this great brand DNA. So Mm. 
Partridge Jewelers, you know, I'd known it to be this 150-year-old brand, sorry, more than that probably, and probably one of the most prestigious jewelers in Australasia. I think their audience comes from all over the place to shop and, right. you know, know that they can go into a store and still find a, part, a member of the Partridge family in store. So that was a really cool thing that I yeah. thought, you know, I could potentially be talking about as part of their marketing arm. So the family is still hands-on Very much hands-on, wow. family-owned, yes. Okay. So... Um, owned by Grant Partridge today. He has two sons working in the business. Um, And it's a very cool, I think even globally you don't get that many. Mm. There are, are, you know, relatively few stories and businesses that are still family owned and run in that capacity. I think CNN even does an excerpt on it where it's, you know, brands that are over 100 years old that are still family run and it's, you know, they're fewer and farther between. Yeah. And have maintained, you know, they've been operated by the family the whole time. Mm. So it actually has an older legacy than that back in England. But right. And New Zealand, it's been 150 years plus. So there was that part of the business. And then there was all these amazing brands um, that Partridge works with in terms of, you know, across watches and jewellery. You Mm. have the likes of Rolex, particularly the two most, if not prestigious and well-known brands in the watch world um, and a whole raft of others. And then um, this fascinating jewellery side of things, which is kind of when you start digging into it a little bit and the brands that they they work with in jewellery, it's becomes this global network and it's actually a really fascinating yeah. um, subject. So I'd been speaking to friends and they had told me, you know, once you get into jewellery, it'll be very hard to get out. It is a really fascinating industry. And um, it was just, you know, in terms of my personal life, it was a, it was a good good move to make as yeah. well. And, and so you're, you're communications manager there? Yes. So I'm I'm across marketing and communications. So, um, yes, spearheading some some projects for them at the moment, which is really awesome. exciting. So, and so do they do they have the same the marketing and communications in the same uh, part of the business, or are they separate teams, or how do they how do they structure that? So no, it's it's actually for a business that's as big as it is, mm. and it is quietly a very big business. Um, they haven't. There hasn't really been a communications and, and marketing arm of Partridge. Well, there have been, you know, people who have come in and out of it. Yes. Um, they have very small senior team, really, yeah. and so. And Grant Partridge is one of those people who is very much someone at the end of a call you can ask yeah, and run right. things by. So, yeah. so that was another part of the appeal of the business was mm. that you know there weren't too many decision, too many you know echelons to get through before yeah, you can yeah. actually make a make definitive a decision yeah. exactly. So, yes, they are. I think everything, you know, we kind of use these terms marketing and communications um, as I feel like there's been a a huge evolution of what those roles are and and who fills them in a business. And, again, not having that huge corporate experience, there probably would be that um, division. I Mm -hmm. think that better probably describes my background and and, um, experiences by combining the two. But communications for me, I guess, is is that brand story part of it and, you know, communicating internally and externally. And then, you know, the marketing side of it is is really who and what and how we're advertising. You know, even that subject of advertising and how that falls under marketing now is all it's all quite interesting. But it's anything to do with that creative marketing. Yeah. Um, talking about our brand. Um, it's interesting how smaller businesses and bigger businesses approach it very differently mm. because, you know, I, 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 my experience has been in smaller businesses that will tend to focus on 
the outcome and then you know whatever the tactics are we need to get to the outcome whereas in a, a bigger business it's a lot more about the inputs so mm. you have a team who mm -hmm. do this thing mm -hmm. and a team who do this thing mm -hmm. and it can you know it can be a lot more a lot more structured and slightly less agile i think well it's funny that you say that because i often look at the way that i i work and that would be to i always have an idea and maybe that's a hangover from publishing is how something will be presented on the you know yes on the end user side of things. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. do kind of work backwards from there. But I think it's important to have the communication side of it because I think reverting back to that brand story, every time you're doing something, you know, it doesn't matter what it is mm. in terms of marketing communications um, is so important. And that to me is the communication side of it. And that's what everyone should be across essentially, you know, whether you're working in a store or you're, um, you know, in the senior team, I think to kind of constantly be thinking back to those kind of, um, those principal communication factors of your business and what it stands for is so important. So, for example, the experience someone has in a store is um, pretty integral to how they perceive the brand. So do you have input into, into that, for example? Yes. So I've been with Partridge Jewelers for eight, eight months and taking over their community management as part of this role right. saw me find this kind of hole, I guess, in, in how we were communicating. And again, as a business who has all, all of these amazing brands, which are, you know, very important to the business as a whole, mm. but who are attracted to Partridge Jewelers because of the brand story and because of their own brand. Yes. So I noticed that we were busy talking about all of these brands that we had in our stable or in our mm. shop, and we didn't really have a way, for example, if we're just talking about jewellery because we don't have our own brand of watches, um, how we were talking about our jewellery. It was only our jewellery. We didn't really have a a way of communicating that. So um, that was something that we actually problem solved um, and came to the conclusion that we would we would give it a name and and um, be able to talk about it in its own in its own right. So oh. we we came up with the name Partridge Hallmark, for example. But mm -hmm. um, I think to me it's that brand of attraction business, you know, where these brands are coming to, you know, be sold in, in Partridge Jewelers because it is a prestigious New Zealand family yes. owned brand. Yep. And vice versa. But, you know, in the same breath, I guess what I'm trying to say is that those brands are equally as important to us. So making space for that partridge element, um, that's been a big part of how we're thinking about what we're doing going forward and what those brand elements are. I mean, a lot of them aren't um, explicitly a piece of jewellery, but the experience you mm -hmm. have in the store or, or you know, the, um, the way the store looks or something yeah, like that, absolutely. there's a consistency there. So, And how do you you know, without being too explicit, bring that backwards into your communication channels and mm. make people feel that, you know, that even though they might be seeing a branded piece of jewellery, they're seeing it in a partridge way or something like that. So It's quite, it's quite an interesting kind of um, interplay between different brands and what's the mm -hmm. hierarchy at different times of the sales process and the, the marketing journey because at some points, partridge is going to be far more important mm -hmm. than the, you know, than Rolex, but at other points, it's all about Rolex. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, and, and um Yes, it is. And in some ways, you, you can feel a little bit hamstrung, I guess, by these brands. But I think that's it's a really good way. It's, it's a hand in hand thing, mm, you know, and that's, mm. that's um, something that we will continue to problem solve going forward as these brands have different um, expectations of us as well. I think Grant said it quite well when he said it's like having, you know, 25 bosses, you know. Yeah, so. Thinking, thinking about you know marketing activity you've done um, over the years, what what would be some of the things you've you've learned? Some of your top tips for people thinking about their marketing activity. I think that as I've mentioned, always coming back to 
who you, what your ethos is as a brand before you start doing something is really important. Um, but again, having come from these boutique brands, mm. I think it's more important to – I've been able to achieve through all these different businesses varying degrees of production, and I think yeah. that people can feel pressure to achieve a certain level of production in their marketing activity, and I think that – Doing something is always better than doing nothing. And I think that's a really important lesson to hold on to. And I think the charm, and this is something I probably learned through Lewis Road, is there is a certain charm to doing something lo-fi. And it probably depends on where you're at with your brand journey and how people know you as a brand. But I think that there's a really interesting piece there in not necessarily having to have the full production TVC um, piece. You know, I think there is a, you can get so creative now. And I think that, it also depends on which channels you're using, but I think um, it's very endearing to see a kind of human lower fi mm. um, level of marketing in some ways. And it's I really interesting that, that that comes from a business which was run by a former ad guy as well. Oh, yes, 100%. 100%. I think that I haven't listened to Peter's podcast, but he was a big proponent of, um, you know, and, and again, prefacing this with the fact that it depends on you know, who your business is. But yeah. there are always ways to get around it. Peter would very much be a person who would say, look, let's just get the camera out. Let's get the, t- you know, the iPhone out yeah. and, and yeah. film yeah. something now. Yeah. Let's do it now. Mm-hmm. Let's do it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you can just be really creative. That just gives you, there's no excuse not to do something these days. And I mm. think we are all enabled. And I think that, you know, New Zealand is full of these, you know, small to medium-sized businesses. And I think that um, it can be a little bit scary, but I think, You'd be surprised with how those how those pieces are received. Those pieces of marketing are received by your consumers. I think, um, obviously, <laughs> obviously there's a level, you know, yeah, yeah, and there's yeah, a yeah, standard. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's got to be the right sort of content. But I think, um, yeah, that's the way things are going. Do you find um, so at a business like Partridge, which has got a you know a stronger sense of brand, it's more established. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find there's a there's a tension between you know getting things out and doing things the right way? Yes. And I think that's the importance of having a representative in-house. So that's almost how I see myself as someone who really, well, is getting to well and truly know the brand Mm. and how to represent that as opposed to perhaps handing it over to an agency and uh, letting the creative go too far or perhaps not in the direction, quite the right direction or something like that. So it's just keeping those keeping it not too far from an in-house situation you know obviously if you don't have the scope to do it in-house then you do have to outsource someone I think it's just making sure that that is um I I look at myself as um I'm probably getting a bit off track here but as an agency of sorts within or an agency kind of representative within Partridge Jewelers so that um I can communicate what I know to be Mm. the brand look and feel and sound so so You've spoken a bit about you know what to have in house. Um, have you worked with external agencies before, and how have you how have you found um, you know that 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 relationship? What works? What doesn't work about internal versus external? I think there is always, apart from you know a sense of added cost. I think this agency relationship is is one that you have to be so careful with how you present value around. But I think just realizing where that you know, the strengths of your team lie. And I think that the agency landscape is such that, you know, every agency offers something or a slightly different kind of hybrid of of skills and Mm. 
in terms of what you might be missing from business. So I think the most important thing is probably to identify what you uh, missing from your current setup and yep. then going from there. Um, one, one of the things um, I found in the past has been when you try and do too much stuff in-house, you lose the sort of independence and the, the external view because if the boss says, I don't like it, then the internal team eventually will say, okay. Whereas a creative agency is likelier to, to challenge that and say, mm-hmm. well, actually our experience in XYZ category was that. So sometimes that challenge can be a good thing. To push back, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Also, in-house, in terms of in-house versus you know contracting, mm. it depends on what it is. I mean, for example, Social media again is an example. You know, these agencies are things. The landscape's changing so quickly. Yes. Um, whereas photography is probably not a medium that's changing. I mean, it's great to go to someone who might give you some sort of, um, you know, might be at the cutting edge, the more Vogue style of of photography. Mm-hmm. But it's not to say you couldn't achieve that. You know, some other way. Yeah, whereas yeah, yeah. something like social media. You know, it's changing by the hour, by the minute, yeah, yeah. Um, and and having information to someone who, I think it's all very well having the data, and you can get that data if you do it in house. But having someone who can compute that into something that's you know real feedback for you then and there, there's huge value in that. So, uh, absolutely, I think uh, we had a fabulous relationship with an agency at Lewis Road who were able to. Um, yeah, definitely give us real-time feedback on what we were feeding them and, mm. and what they would prefer to do or they would suggest or they would recommend doing. So I think it's just realising what you don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. And I, I agree. I think that um, a lot of creativity and a lot of pushing back, I think a lot of um, having those external inputs is really important just for pushing yourself. How have you worked with sales in the past? Because... Um, some businesses have sales and marketing together. Some mm-hmm. have them separate. Mm. I'm keen to understand your view on um, the relationship between marketing and sales. I think that marketing has more data around it now. Mm-hmm. And I think that sales has always been very data-driven, if I'm, if I'm not wrong. Yes. <laughs> not, being, not being deeply, deeply in sales ever before. The thing um, about sales is you always know if it's working or not because well, money comes through the door. Absolutely. That is 100%. It. And I think marketing is often a feeling mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. don't know that, you know, with a lot of our, you know, marketing efforts at the moment, you do have data back that tells you, you know, reach and performance and, and gives you some sort of indicators of that. I don't know if it's ever that simple. And again, it depends on the, the nature of the good. Yep, so yep, yep. obviously if it's a diamond ring, we're not, you know, going to be selling, you know, oodles of those just yeah. because we you know, posted a photo of a, of a diamond ring mm, or mm. put it put an ad in a magazine. Yeah. Um, sometimes that does happen, but <laughs> but um, a different kind of good. At Lewis Road, for example, we did have that kind of high frequency access to data where, you know, if we were making an effort to um, permeate a new area or mm. a new region or something like that, then we could kind of use our resources in terms of, you know, we were quite social media focused. I think that those geo-targeting things I think are really interesting. And I know that Zuru Edge are a really, mm. are a really interesting example of how they, yes. how they do that kind of geo-marketing. Mm. So I think it obviously, A, depends on the type of good, but B... It's a bit of a fraught relationship, I guess, in terms of of the overlap of sales and marketing. Obviously, you don't want the two to be completely disconnected, but Mm. um, I think often there's a pressure to convert. And I think that 
we, I kind of come back to everything we put out there as brand awareness. Do you know what I mean? And I think just being in people's minds at the moment has huge value. Mm, so, mm. so whether that's actually converting to sales, um, I think is another thing. Um, and yeah, coming back to that fact that the goods that I'm dealing with at the moment probably aren't something that's going to, you know, fly off the shelf yeah, if we do some good yeah. marketing around it. But I think it's that it's that brand feeling, and I think. Um, Often one of the one of the, the points of friction is you know sales sales teams can be focused on short term results and marketing mm -hmm. teams can be focused on long term results and, mm -hmm. and sometimes there's a bit of a gap between the two mm. you know with sales mm. saying come on guys can mm. you give me leads and marketing saying no no it's not about that mm. like you said it's about a feeling mm. and sales saying I don't want a feeling you know so it's it's a it's an interesting one to you know that both focused really on the same thing but different facets of it. Absolutely. And if you're lucky enough to have someone from sales sitting right next to you, then that's fabulous. Mm. Um, I don't have that at the moment. I would love that. Um, you know, the data-driven person in me wants to know exactly what's happening and what's yeah, yeah, trending. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think also a lot of marketing is about, you know, an audience that you don't have already there. Yes. For example, yeah. I mean, we have all these amazing internal ways of marketing, you know, um, centralized ways of marketing our product to people that we already have as customers or as, mm. you know, as uh, purchasers of our product. Yeah. Whereas um, I think um, it's a lot about widening the net, so to speak, or, or honing on who those new people could be. So um, I think, yeah, if you are, I think if you can organize this, that you do have someone sitting next to you who can mm. tell you exactly what's happening on the ground. I mean, more power to you. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah Not I always think, possible. No. And it is a bit of a fraught, fraught relationship, I guess. So, you know, the, the size of businesses that you, you've worked in are um, smaller in terms of the size of the team, um, not necessarily the, you know, the size of the business, but the size of the team. So what, what have you enjoyed about that? What, what have you found positive about working in smaller teams versus, you know, being a smaller cog in a bigger machine? Kind of thing? Mm, I think uh, that ability to pitch and know um, whether you can push through with an idea or a concept or a campaign um, becomes very easy when you're in a small a small group of people. Mm. Um, also, you know, businesses are, and probably all of these businesses are an extension of of who has created them and yeah. who is at the helm. And I think yeah. having proximity to that person and that voice mm. and not underestimating the importance of how they say what they say and what that reason for doing what they're doing mm. is, is I think is just paramount every day of the week. I think, you know, starting your day, reminding yourself why someone's doing this is, yep. is the most important thing. And I think it gives you a huge level of satisfaction in your job as well. Um, you know, I, I actually, Peter, when I started with, with Lewis Road Creamery, he has this kind of guidebook, um, that he gave me and he said, you know, read this and make sure it feels good before you, you know, um, <laughs> before, before you express any any further desire to come and work at Lewis Road Creamery. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of, it laid it out in terms of what his vision was and, you know, what he loved, what he didn't love so much. And I think it was a really good way to understand what he was trying to achieve. And it's not about everyone's vision being heard, it's about really embracing the vision of the business that you're working for and mm. and um, going forth with that. So I think being in these small businesses, you can really, it's really rewarding, I guess. Because um, big companies spend a lot of time and a lot of money making sure everybody's aligned, whereas in a smaller business, as you say, because you're near the founder, the leader, 
you, you can know very quickly whether you're aligned or not. Absolutely. It feels very nimble. It feels yes. like you could go off and do anything at any mm. given time. Um, and I've seen some great examples of that through Denison, through Lewis Road, and now through Partridge. But yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I haven't had that experience in these huge organisations. But as you say, I think there are a lot of um, meetings about meetings. And, to, and I think that with these small businesses, there's just an expectation that whatever it's, is talked about is gets done yeah. and, that, and yeah. that, you know, nothing falls through the cracks that way. And I mm. think that that's a really good discipline to learn as a marketer that, you know, um, often these um, nascent ideas are, are, you know, very good in their very original form and, and they don't need necessarily a heck of a lot of evolving um, yeah. in some ways. Um Often I think it's good to question yourself and like we say, if you're using someone external, I think to have, have someone there that can kind of keep you mm. on the right um, guideline. But um, It's interesting because yeah. my, my experience of working at bigger companies as well as smaller ones has been in the bigger ones because there are so many people involved in a process, everyone feels they need to, I've got to add something, mm. I've got to change something. Mm. So you start off with a brilliant idea, which by the end, ends up being not a great idea, but everyone signed it off, mm. you know? Oh, 100%. And I think <laughs> I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's a perfect example, isn't it? That And we all do want to think we're adding value. But I, I think being able to obviously gently provide feedback if you really feel like, you know, it's necessary. But I think um, there is value in being able to accept someone's vision and take mm. that with you mm. and not need to recreate or reinvent the wheel yeah. uh, every time. And, yeah. and that makes it feel efficient and um, easily, you know, easily achievable. And, you know, the, the you know. If giving feedback, the way you give feedback, um, it's a huge determinant of the success of something, you know. Yes. I, I find it very rare that, you know, people say, actually, do you know what? That's awesome. Just yeah. do that, you know, because then what, what am I here for? So actually... Look, it's good, but it would be better if you just change this thing. Oh, it, and they'll just change this thing. That's but, life, you know. isn't it? And and people yeah. want to, and if you, especially if you do open it up to people, people often think that they should provide critique. Whereas mm, I mm, think mm. that is totally underestimated to uh, hear an idea and and just, I think beyond that, just be enthusiastic. And yeah, and yeah. and <laughs> I think that is another um, Peterism, but to kind of um, get behind ideas um, mm. and just. Yeah, do it with enthusiasm, you know. Awesome. Yeah. Last question um, of the day. So this has been this has been a really interesting discussion. So so if you had to give a single piece of advice to our listeners, something that they could um, go in action tomorrow, what would that single piece of advice be? I think whether you are running your own business or you are working um, for someone else in their business, I would, as a marketer, go away and... Um, you may already have a brand story, but if not, to revisit that brand story, um, simplify it as much as possible, um, write it down in the most relatable terms and make that your marketing communications ethos, I think, to know what you stand for and to make that, you know, what you come back to every time, I think is, is highly, highly valuable. And I also think when talking about, you know, that ethos and communicating that with whoever's following you or mm. whatever you are advertising or marketing, people, if they've heard it once, they won't notice if they've heard it two times or three times. I think we say it often once and we think, oh, cool, I've said that. But no, yeah. in actual fact, yeah. you know, it doesn't hurt to hear that every single time. Um, so I think that probably would be would be my 
um, piece of advice. Just real consistency with that brand story. Consistency with that brand story. Keep coming back to it. Keep threading that message through in, in all sorts of places because, uh, you know, we're all absorbing messages from so many different brands and I think consistency is really key and it can't be, um, it can't be, it can seldom be overdone. Fantastic. Madeline, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. And if it's IT expertise you're after, then make your way to gorillatechnology.com. See you next time.